I read a story about a very successful fisherman, and uh, he would go out in this little boat for several hours early in the morning, and every time he came back to the dock, he had quite a load of fish. And the people were just marveling because all he took was a small tackle box and a little net. And so one morning, one afternoon when he came back in with his catch, there was a stranger on the dock who said, you know, hey, I, can I go out fishing with you sometime? I kind of want to see how you do this. Uh, and the guy goes, sure, meet me back here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. Uh, and so sure enough, the next morning at 5 a.m., the stranger is there on the dock. They get into the little boat and go a long distance out onto this lake and fisherman kills the motor and when the boat comes to the stop he fumbles around in his little toolbox and and pulls out a, comes out with a small stick of dynamite that's lit and and he just heaves it then into the lake and, and a couple seconds later he takes the small little net and starts to scoop in the fish and the stranger is just shocked and and he reaches into his pocket and pulls out his game warden badge and goes you know I just have to place you under arrest. And the guy, without panicking, reaches back into his little toolbox and pulls out another little lit stick of dynamite and tosses it to the warden. And while it's sitting there burning, he goes, well, are you just going to sit there or are you going to fish? As we continue through this, epistle of James that's very much the theme that he keeps weaving throughout and its idea of don't just sit there on your faith that faith is not a noun but it is a verb it is connected to the risen and reigning and returning Lord Jesus Christ so in chapter 1, he started out saying, don't just sit there in your hardships, but receive them with joy because God is working steadfastness in you and steadfastness culminates in a crown of eternal life. And then at the end of chapter 1, he said, and don't just sit on this implanted word of God that has the power to save your souls, but, but then go and do what it says. Live the word. And then last week you talked about don't just sit on your faith and favoritism or, or showing preferential treatment to others, but in faith show the mercy that we ourselves have received first from God because mercy always always triumphs over judgment. Today, as he closes out chapter 2, I believe this is the heart of his little epistle, and, and he's going to hold before us this, this relationship between faith and good works. And James is going to push the question, essentially, what is saving faith? What is your saving faith in Jesus Christ? Is it faith, creed, orthodoxy, profession? Is it fruit, conduct, orthopraxy, right practice? Is it practice? How would you define what is your saving faith in Jesus Christ? What does that look like? 
So James Day and even before and even in our day today, there are some who would say, well, your faith is the column on the left. It is just your content. It is just your doctrine. It's about what you believe and having the right beliefs. And there are others in James Day and even ours today who say, no, no, no. See, faith is, is really the right-hand column. Faith is about your fruit. It's about your conduct. It's about your orthopraxy and, and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And James is going to call us both together and say, wait a minute. Your saving faith is always hyphenated. It's faith and its fruit, its creed and its conduct, its right doctrine and right practice, its profession and living it out on a day-to-day -day basis. See, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But faith in Jesus is never alone. It can't be because of who our faith is connected to. And that is a living Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. And Paul said in his letter, one of his letters, he said, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only this, only faith working through love. And so James now is going to hold before us a real day-to-day -day example of what saving faith does not look like <laughs> And conversely, then, what saving faith does look like? Let's take a look at his words here in chapter 2. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a big question in this. He's asking us, does saving faith cross a real human person in need? And merely send a warm wish. Does saving faith see someone on a cold Chicago day? Maybe they're shivering, bundling up. And does saving faith go to that person and say, You know, it's really cold out. You might want to dress warmer. And then walk on. Or does saving faith see someone who's struggling to even eat and might even look malnourished and say, You know, you're looking a little thin. You really ought to try to eat more. Is that what saving faith would do? Or maybe you hear about a mom with young children, and maybe she's by herself, and 
You hear that one of the children are sick. Would saving faith say to this young mother, you know, I heard that Walgreens has a big selection of medicine. Or maybe afterwards you walk out to the lot and, and someone has slammed their finger in a car door. The saving faith say, man, that's got to hurt. I'll pray that it feels better. See, is that what saving faith does? Does it merely just give some kind of warm wish? James says that if our faith is only by mouth, that is actually an ineffectual, hollow sentiment, make-believe kind of faith that is nothing more than a mixture of warm words but cold deeds. Does a mouth-only faith help either person? And James is saying, no, because that's actually not saving faith. That is a dead faith. Because remember always faith's object, and that is Jesus Christ. As James moves on, he raises someone who raises a hand and says, well, yeah, James, but... And this person says, well, you have faith, I have works. Well, Pastor James says, yeah, show me your faith apart from works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And he feels so strongly about this. He says to the person who raises their hand and objects, you foolish person, faith is worthless apart from works. Again, can saving faith exist without works? The objectioner says yes. James, of course, very clearly says no. Show me your faith apart from works. I will show you my faith by my works. Because in Jesus Christ, faith and works are inseparable. They are woven together into one beautiful, seamless garment. So think of it like this. In ministry, we've lived in a few different states now. Uh, and I have some keepsake emblems from some of the states that we have lived in. Uh, this was from our time in Colorado when I taught high school out there. This was from uh, years growing up in Michigan. Uh, we don't have the New York plates anymore because we had to send them back. <laughs> we moved out, but here's one of our early uh, Illinois license plates. But many states have mottos, and I thought to kind of warm us up to this next point that I would test you on your knowledge of some of the state mottos. Uh, and so it's going to start really easy, and this is going to get harder as we move along here. Uh, and so the first state motto, this thing is really not cooperating. I need the force. If you miss this one, you fail. All right, pure Michigan is all right, Michigan, told you it's going to get a little harder. Here we go. Land of Lincoln. 
Yeah, not Dearborn, Michigan, right? That's a different, that's a Lincoln with wheels. Let's get warmer. Sunshine State. Florida. Florida. Yeah, how about this? North to the future. Yes, it is not Georgia. Wrong way on the compass. Alaska is north to the future. Or how about this one? It's good being first. Yes, Delaware. The first state to ratify the Constitution. Very good, man. How about this one? Sportsman's Paradise. Not Wisconsin. Good guess. They're cheeseheads. No, South. Louisiana. Some raging Cajun going on. Sportsman's Paradise or this one. Life Elevated. It is not Iowa. Utah. Utah is life elevated. And then this one, I was going to say best for last, but it probably isn't the best for last, uh, was a license plate we had on our car for a few years from the state of Missouri, or as I say it on there, Missouri, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, but on the bottom of the plate, it used to be, maybe they've changed it by now, but their state motto used to be, show me, the show me state. Because I was thinking about James, if James had lived in the United States, I think that James would have come from the state of Missouri because he is all about show me. Show me your faith in Jesus Christ because it is living, it is active, and it cannot but be constantly doing good works and a life of obedience to God. In fact, as James wraps up this section of chapter 2, he's going to hold up before us two believers from the Bible who are on completely different sides of the spectrum, as far or opposite as you could get. But both of them he holds up because of the works that their faith produced. On one side we have Abraham, patriarch. And on the other side, he holds up Rahab, prostitute. Abraham is insider. He is Hebrew. Rahab is outsider, Canaanite, Gentile. But both of them shared faith in God and his promises. And when God came to Abraham and asked him to sacrifice the only son that he waited 25 years for. In faith, Abraham obeyed and willingly went through with the sacrifice until God told him to stop. And in the same faith, Rahab, at great risk to her own life and the life of her own family, she hid the Israelite spies and helped them escape from Jericho in safety. Both of these opposites, yet one in faith 
are not only in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, but both of them are also held up in the hero chapter, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, where both of them are commended for their good works that their faith in Jesus Christ produced and showed the evidence of their faith. Before we close with a question that's really going to flush this out among us in our here and practice section, I wanted to share with you a very uh, eloquent quote from Martin Luther, who had a very good way with words, and he said this in his writings on word and sacrament. He said, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them and is constantly doing them. Thus, it is impossible to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as separating heat and light from fire. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone. But that faith in Jesus Christ is never, ever alone. And so I want you for a couple minutes to answer these questions, talk about them with each other. First question I have for you is, when did God give you faith in Jesus? It's one more. I just need one more from you. There we go. And the second question, hypothetically giving all the glory to God, if you were on trial for being a Christian, what evidence might be used in court to show it? Go ahead, think about that, share with someone who is next to you here or also at home, and then we'll continue with the service.